Well, good morning. Isn't that great? Uh, thanks to the worship team again. Um, you can imagine this energy here at the 9.30 service when people are still waking up. It was a real shock to their system, but it was wonderful. It was wonderful. My name's Rob, and it's, a, it's a, such a great opportunity for me to welcome you here today. And, you know, two or three times a year, I will just get up in front of the congregation and kind of share a little bit of a financial update with you, just by way of accountability, but also to let you know what's going on. And you probably received a little card like this when you came in today. So I'd say, you know, if you would say, River, I'm a member of Rivercross Church, or this is my spiritual home and my family. Um, and this time of year, we just want to give you an opportunity to be a part of what we are doing together as a church, and what we feel God has called us to as a congregation. Um, when you came in today, you got a card, and it just outlines a few things, and I'll just kind of go through it quickly with you today. 2017 is quickly becoming a year of possibilities for us, and as we look ahead to the things that are going to happen in this calendar year and the kind of ministries that we're going to carry out together, it's very exciting to think about what God is going to do. Um, one, just a couple of things that stood out to me. One is our search for a full-time Chinese outreach pastor. And that search is underway, and we're making some progress, so I would ask that you continue to pray for us. Um, I was saying to the search committee at one point, I mean, right now we are an English-speaking congregation uh, with a Mandarin congregation inside of us, kind of a church within a church. And I said, you know, it's very possible that in the years to come this could be a Chinese congregation with an English congregation inside of it. Um, there's just so much potential here, and so just continue to pray for us. So the, the salary for that is in our coming budget this year. As you've heard, we've just purchased a new bus, and uh, so that is just tremendous, and, and it's an exciting ministry to so many people. And we've just had so many increases as it relates to our community outreach work in the Old North End and Crescent Valley, um, simply because we have the privilege of ministering to more people every week which is just an incredible gift that God would be so faithful and kind to us. As I think of our kids' ministries and our youth ministries and all of the other ministries that we carry out, we are just simply ministering to more and more people every week. So all of those uh, opportunities have increased. And what it kind of boils down to is that as a congregation, uh, this annual budget for 2017 will require about $1,000 more per week than last year's. And that's simply because God is just continuing to be good to us. So we wanted to, early on in the year just to stand before you and give you the opportunity to be a part of that as we look forward. Someone asked me last week about how you do all of this, and I'll, I'll get to just to show a quick screen. Whether you use the offering envelopes, which are available at the back, or whether you give via debit or the envelopes that are in the seat in front of you, you typically on most of the forms will have three options. The first is current, and I know current isn't always the most helpful word. But when you designate your giving towards current, that allows you to be a part of every ministry that we do as a church family. And so I would encourage you to start your giving there. Um, this just allows you, any ministry that you see take place, um, giving to current helps you get to be a part of it. So it's a fantastic opportunity. Missions, this is money that we give away. We have chosen to partner with different ministry organizations locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. So as you give to missions, uh, we take those funds and we pass them on to those ministries. Uh, you'll see in the foyer, there's a lovely bulletin board made up. It shows some of the ministries that we're partnering with in this calendar year. So we look forward to uh, kind of getting to be a part of ministries kind of beyond us. And the last is capital, and that just helps us to pay down our mortgage more quickly. So as you fill out your forms, that will just give you a little information to be helpful. So as we head into this new year, I just wanted to give you an opportunity and a little bit of a challenge to consider maybe what's your next step as you think about being a part of the ministries here at River Cross Church. And on this form, there's some options. 
The first is simply this, that you would say, you know what, in 2017, I am going to go from kind of a casual giver to a consistent giver, which would mean a casual giver would say, you know, when I'm here, I I make a donation, um, but when I'm not here, I don't. So the challenge or the, the next step for you would be to say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of the ministries here, even if I'm not here on Sunday morning. So week in, week out, I'm going to be a part of all the things that are happening as we as a congregation undertake mission together. So that would be the first one. And maybe you need to get offering envelopes, which you can do today, or you want to sign up for pre-authorized giving, then you can do that today as well. We've got lots of options for you. The second one would say, you know, I'm going to practice tithing. And tithing is the biblical practice of setting aside 10% of your income and giving it to the Lord's service. And this requires beautiful intentionality. This does not just happen. It's a commitment my family and I have made. I know many of the leaders in our church have made people, whether they're rich, middle income, or poor, have made this decision. And let me tell you one of the great byproducts of choosing this. You get to live with great peace over your financial world. So if something happens financially to you in the calendar year, this just allows you to kind of say, you know what, I've given this area over to the Lord. I've allowed him to be Lord of it in my life. And so no matter what comes, I can have peace about my finances. Another option would be uh, to sign up for pre-authorized, or maybe you signed up 15 years ago and you haven't changed your amount and you'd like to do that. Uh, Maybe for you, if you're a parent or a grandparent today, you want to help instill in this next generation the practice of generosity. And there is no greater time to learn to be a generous people than when you're young. And so maybe you would think about some creative ways to do that. And lastly, um, to leave a gift to Rivercross Church in your will. You know, as one of the leaders of this church, um, let me just say, you know, when we receive a gift from someone's estate, it is one of the most encouraging things. Because we pause for a moment and we're completely humbled and we simply say, I cannot believe that someone sat down and actually considered us in being a support and an encourager to the ministries here as kind of one of their last gifts. And, uh, you know, one of the other great things, just really practically speaking, is this. It's the easiest gift that you'll ever give. Um, So just if that would be something you'd like to talk to one of us about, we'd be glad to do that. But what's your next step going to be? And maybe today you would say this, you know, Rob, that's all well and good and I would love to, but I'm just in a situation right now where I can't. And my financial world is in chaos. And that would just stress me out to the nines. What I would say to you today, if you would like some help, if you'd like someone to maybe sit down with you and maybe give you some wise counsel, some, some advice to, to get out of that chaotic world, uh, we would be honored to find someone who in confidence would sit down with you and kind of coach you through that. So just let us know and we'd be glad to do that. So what's your next step? Uh, we've got these cards. We're going to do this again next week. You're going to get the same ramble again next week. And I'd ask you just to simply pray about it this week. Have a conversation about it if you need to have a conversation. Pick one of these or so, and just you can put it in the offering plate next Sunday, or we'll have a box at the Welcome Center as well. And no one's going to follow up with you. No one's going to call you. No one's going to come to your house and visit you. This is just more for you to do as your way of saying, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing through Rivercross Church. Okay? Thanks. Well, we are into our series, again, Teaching Through the Scriptures. Next Sunday, uh, Reverend Dr. Peter Reed will be here. Peter is the executive minister of our Baptist family of churches, and he's going to continue on teaching in this series. He and his wife, Lottie, are members of our congregation, and so we look forward to that. I was teasing the folks at the 930 service, saying, you know, Peter's here next week. He's going to clear it all up. We've made it about as confusing as can be over the last number of weeks, and he's going to clear it up in one Sunday, so no pressure for him. One of the greatest fears of married couples 
is that they would start to look like their spouse. Mostly the fear of the wives. I don't know if you've read about this or heard about this happening, but researchers in London and in Michigan and other places have been working to explore this question. Why is it the longer couples are married, the more they start to look like each other? One article said this, while you may be familiar with the old saying, opposites attract, in reality what the heart wants is someone who resembles its owner. And that resemblance increases the longer the two lovebirds stay together. So this one psychologist started doing these experiments, looking at photographs taken of some couples on their wedding day, and then looking at them 25 years later. And the results showed that the couples had grown to look more and more like each other over time. How many of you are absolutely terrified right now? <laughs> All the newlyweds in the room are ready to run out. And here's what happens. They say, you know, if you um, are in a joyful marriage, you are smiling a lot. Both of you are smiling, and your face takes on these smile lines, and over time, you start to look like each other. The opposite is also true. If you're in an unhappy marriage, and you're frowning a lot, over time, those frowns give shape to both of your faces, and you start to look the same. The idea is this, you become like the one that you love. You become like the one that you love. This is true in the passages that we've been reading as we've been going through the Old Testament together. The people of God are starting to look like the things that they love, which were the idols that they were worshiping. We're working our way through the book of Kings, which recounts the stories of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and the kings in particular, which were giving leadership to those countries. The Bible is not presented to us chronologically. All of the history is in one section, all of the prophets are grouped together, but our reading is taking us through chronologically, which is why when you look at your reading schedule, it looks so complicated. It's because we've broken it up so that you're reading through the Bible chronologically. In this past number of weeks, we've read about 38 kings, five of which were godly, and the nine prophets that God sent to those kings to give them counsel and to give them wisdom. And if there's two dominant themes that have come out of these readings, one is idolatry, which we talked about last week, and the other is justice, which we're going to talk about here this morning. And the issue with idolatry is the practice of allowing other gods from neighboring countries into your country and choosing to worship them. And the Lord's message to his people was simply this. You are becoming like the things that you worship. Psalm 115.8 says this, speaking about idols. To those who make them idols, they will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. As you worship other things other than God, you take on their cares and their concerns. You adopt their opinions, their priorities. You take on their character. And so when God's people stopped worshiping him, they stopped being like him. Don't forget, during this time, the churches were full. The programs were humming along. And idol worship was rampant. People bounced back and forth. They would go to the Lord for this thing. And then they would go over here to the idol for this thing. So God sends multitude of prophets with graphic images and messages and PowerPoint presentations and the people ignore them. And their lives start to take on the character and the likeness of the idols that they worship. 
and God is angry. How angry? Well, let's read. I, I want you to turn with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 1. If you're using the red Bible in a seat in front of you, it's on a page 1060. Isaiah chapter 1, and I'm going to read starting at verse 10, and by verse 17, we will have all had enough. Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 10. So this is the prophet in cahoots with King Hezekiah, speaking to the people where the churches are full and the programs are humming and the Lord is angry. And he says this, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law. And anytime we hear the word law, it's referring to those first five books of the Old Testament. Listen to the law or the Torah of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure, pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moons, your Sabbaths and convocations, so your Easter, your Thanksgiving, your Sunday mornings. I can bear your evil, no longer bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash. Make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. These are tough verses. There was a number of sections just like this in the book of Amos and the book of Hosea from last week's reading. And these verses remind us that idolatry and injustice are not just about God's people doing bad things. It's about God's people abandoning their mission. God's people abandoning their mission. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram to go from his house, to go where the Lord will lead him, and to be a blessing to the world. And God calls Israel to be his nation. He gives them a code to live by. He gives them commandments to live by. And he says, as you live by these things, you will reflect my character, my values, and my heart to the entire world. And when people watch how you live, they will know what I am like. And God's people who had been called to worship him in hopes that their lives would start to reflect God's character in the world chose instead to worship idols. And they started to take on the character and likeness of those idols and started practicing injustice all around them. How many of you remember your first job? How many of you worked in the service industry or in like in a labor job, which was your first one? How many of you remember your first job boss being a bit of a tyrant? They were mean, they were hard on you, they gave you the worst job, the worst hours, they were manipulative and dishonest. Did anybody have a boss like that? And you said to yourself, someday I'm going to be the boss or I'm going to at least have one person that works under me 
and I'm going to be the best boss ever. I'm going to be kind and thoughtful and caring and compassionate. Remember that? The Israelites had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt and were set free to go become their own nation. And they bounced around and they'd been experiencing that Egyptian slavery. Then as they first became a nation, they were a tiny nation. They had no strength, no power, no might. And the other nations kind of batted them around a little bit. And all during those years, the Lord kept saying to them, there's going to be a day. Then when under David and Solomon, Israel finally has influence and power and God calls them and says, now it's your turn. And by the way that you live, you will reflect who I am to the entire world and they will see who I am. But instead, they choose to worship idols and they abandon the mission that God had given them. And as people watch how we live, they should learn what our God is like and that our God is a God of justice. One of the marks of God's people that would differentiate us is how we treat people, all people, not just people like you, not just people with the same color skin who vote like you and believe about the same morals as you do, all people should receive justice from us. And the claims against the Israelites were brutal. These were brutal. Dishonest business practices, rigging the scales, manipulation, bribes, selling people like property, and ignoring a commandment to care for people on the margins of society, typically referred to as the least of these, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. The widow was someone whose husband had passed away and now was suddenly open to financial ruin. She had no social and financial safety net. And God said, when you see someone like that, remember a day that I came and picked you up when you were vulnerable and cared for you. And the orphan, someone who has no parents, God's vision was that his people would remember what it was like when Abraham first stepped out in faith and left his family. And God stepped in and cared for his people and welcomed them into his family. And when you'd remember that, you would treat these orphans differently. And the foreigner, the person who has no country, no family, no land, and are susceptible to becoming slaves. And God says there should be a day when you remember what it was like to be a slave, what it was like to be treated the way you were treated. And when you see someone like that walk into your community, you are going to go and fold them in and treat them as God had treated you. This was to be the reputation of God's people in the culture. They would reflect his heart and his character to all the people around. That when, as neighboring nations looked on, they would see there's something different about these people. And they would long for it in their own lives. And we're living in a similar day today. Our world is aching for justice. I don't know if you know, were paying any attention to the Women's March in Washington this week and just reading some of the articles and in particular seeing some of the signs that people were carrying in the middle of that march. And the people are questioning, why is it that after all these years, women still do not receive the same pay as men for doing the same job? How can that be? And how can it be in 2017 we're still having conversations about women being objectified by men? How can that still be the case? It's an ache and a cry in our culture for justice. Or we watch a three-year-old boy wash up on the, on the shores in Greece because his family's country was torn apart by civil war. 
So they flee their country only to meet someone who rips them off, human traffickers, who takes all of their cash, puts them on an unsafe boat. The boat on the way from Syria to Greece flips over, capsizes, the parents die, and the little boy dies and his body washes ashore. And we all see it on the news. And we shake our head and say, how can this be happening? With all that we know and all the technology and all that we have, how can this be happening? Or we hear stories of young girls in Halifax being taken to Montreal to be part of the sex, sex trade. We think, really? What kind of barbaric world do we live in that this is still going on? And our world is aching for justice and wondering, is anybody going to take up these issues? Is anybody going to say enough is enough? And because of this deep desire so rooted in the heart and character of God, and the longer we walk with God, the longer we worship Him, the more we should become like Him, and the more we should become passionate about the things that God is passionate about. This is true of our families. It should be true of our life groups. It should be true of our youth groups, all of our Bible studies, that we should be growing in likeness to Him. As tough as Isaiah chapter 1 was, there's this beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 2. Just listen to it for a second. Isaiah chapter 2, shortly after those difficult verses. The Lord paints a picture of what he wants it to look like. And it says this. This is what Isaiah, some of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. Where the pe God's people worship will be higher than any other place. It will have the most influence in the world. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law or the, the scriptures will go out from Jerusalem. The word of the Lord to, from, from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares or farming tools. They will spears into pruning hooks, also a farming tool. Nation will no longer take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And then listen to this. Here's the invitation. Come. O people of God, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. In the midst of those difficult days, God calls his People in today's world, dark days, he calls us, come. Walk as God would have us walk in our day. Now these verses are difficult, I realize that, but there's some challenges here I cannot help but leave on the table. So let me just point them out to us just quickly. Personally, for each of us to wrestle within our own hearts, a reminder that our sin is never just personal. It impacts our ability to carry out God's mission. We live in a very individualistic culture and so often we just think about if I'm having a sin problem in our life, it's between me and God and that's really all that it's impacting and nothing could be further from the truth. When we live disobediently, when we choose to do our own thing and ignore God's code and call on our life, it's not just the fact that we're sinning, it means we are abandoning the mission that he's called us to. And at least this means that we're just simply neutral. We have no impact for God's kingdom in our world. And at worst, instead of blessing others, our lifestyle actually is harmful to other people. So as we reflect on our own lives, where can we live out this heart for justice with the people that we interact with? 
I think our workplace is one of the great places to start. If you are in charge of anybody, like one person, even like if it's part-time person one day a week, if you're a manager or an employer or a boss, you've got this great opportunity to reveal the heart of God to the people that you work with. And wouldn't it be great if the reputation of Christians was, you know, they're, they're really got some wonky beliefs on some topics, but you want to work for one because they treat you fairly and they care for you. Another one is our attitudes, just in our own hearts. Do we have hatred, anger, bias, racist or sexist attitudes towards anybody? Because if we hold those things in our heart, we will never exercise justice to people that we do not care for. Another is money. Is there any way that you're shortchanging people, ripping people off, not following through on commitments that you're able to make? I remember talking to someone who was selling an item online and he was bragging to me that he had basically put it for sale at a rip-off price. And the person who ended up buying it was a teenager who did not know any better, came and bought it. The young kid then went home and told his dad, who is completely aware that his son had just been ripped off by this guy. So the dad calls the guy who sold him the item and challenges him. And the Christian's response was, well, if he's stupid enough to buy it, it's his own fault. These verses provide us a challenge also to our church family, that we as a congregation, the temptation of every church, the tractor beams of a group this size is always moving towards becoming more and more selfish and more and more just about meeting our own needs and just doing what we like and doing things that suit our preferences. All of our activities just kind of just becoming ingrown and inward looking. And it can happen so quietly. The image that came to mind as I was thinking about this was the reversing falls. So for a prairie boy like me, I'm still amazed after 16 years of the reversing falls. The reversing falls, you'll remember, when the the tide is low and the river is flowing into the ocean, it's a terror. It's ferocious, kicking up foam and waves and water. And the image that God has given us as a vision of a congregation is that we would be a church that exists for other people, that we, like the presence of God, would be a rushing river flowing outwards from his presence into the community to take God's love and grace and mercy to people. But reversing falls slowly changes. The river's flowing, it's flowing, and then it slows down and slows down, and before you know it, it's slack tide. It's calm. And then eventually the tide goes high, and it starts, the river starts to reverse. And the same thing can happen in churches. The river can reverse, and everything becomes about us and what we like and what we want. The vision of the church filled with people presented in these scriptures, everyone happy, programs flourishing, and the community around it aching for justice should haunt us. A church should never get bigger and the community around it gets worse. As God blesses us as a congregation, the call and the opportunity and the privilege for us is to become more and more of a blessing to our neighbors. And I hope that we can wrestle and dream and just let that passage stew in our hearts a little bit. Where is God calling you and I, us as a congregation, to do a better job of exercising his justice? Now, just one final thing. I know what some of you are thinking. When are we going to be done in the Old Testament? (laughs) This is tough stuff. Again, Nyland, last week, idolatry. This week, justice. Seriously, you're killing us. 
And it's painful. It's painful to read through the scriptures and see the kings making the same mistakes again and again. It's painful to read these sermons of the prophets, although I know some of you are sick and you love those passages. There gets to be this ache for God to bring about a resolution. God, would you just do something once and for all that settles this? Would you just reach out and act and move in some way that once and for all provides a remedy for what is so broken and so gone bad? So this morning, I don't know if you caught them in your readings, there's these little glimpses of hope throughout the prophets. These words, these phrases, these paragraphs that just remind us there's a day coming. So I'm going to read you one. And what I ask you to do is close your eyes. And it's got such great images in it. You can just kind of use your imagination as I read it out. This is Isaiah chapter 9. This is one of those Christmas passages. Speaking of the coming of Christ, it says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows, light, sunbursts of light. You repopulated the nation. You expanded its joy. Oh, they're so glad in your presence. Festival joy. The joy of a great celebration, sharing its rich gifts and warm greetings. The abuse of oppressors and the cruelty of tyrants, all their whips and curses, is gone. It's done away with. A deliverance as surprising and sudden as Gideon's old victory over Midian. The boots of all those invading troops, along with their shirts soaked with innocent blood, will be piled in a heap and burned. A fire that will burn for days. For a child has been born for us. A gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. His ruling authority will grow and there will be no limits to the wholeness that he brings. Lord, this morning that is our prayer. That there would be no limits to the wholeness you would bring in our broken world. Forgive us for being so caught up in ourselves or so caught up in what we are doing as a church that we forget our calling and our mission in this world. Lord, today I just pray that you would release your Holy Spirit into our hearts and show us things that need to change. That we would discover the freedom of walking in the light. And that God, as we live out faithful lives, as we live out obedient lives, you would use those lives and share your reputation through us so that other people would experience you bringing wholeness into their lives, into their families, into their community, and into our city, and into our world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.